When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Invisible Storm, a soldier's memoir of politics and PTSD by Jason Kander is a book that everyone's got to get. He's a best-selling author. And he is, uh, he's, he's so many things, uh, certainly he's someone bringing to light some things that uh, just uh, years and years ago uh, were never talked about. And fortunately, we're starting to understand um, things a little better and, and, and what men and women are dealing with when they come back. The, uh, the suicide rate is, is just unacceptable. And, and for us to turn, uh, turn a blind eye to what's going on out here is, uh, is just completely uh, disgraceful, but uh, Captain Jason Kander is our very special guest, and thrilled to talk to him this morning. Uh, Doctor Kander, how are you? Uh, Captain Kander, how are you? Uh, I am great. Thanks so much. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I, just Jason is fine. I mean, yeah, because um, I'm no doctor, but I'm a former captain. So, <laughs> but thank you very much. All right. Well, hey, li- listen. Let me let me ask you a little uh, something about just just when you got back and and you're a, a Afghan uh, vet, you know, of, of, of Afghanistan and uh, and uh, and so many other uh, and so many other things. Uh, when when you came back, what was your what, what was your acceptance here, or what was your the reaction to you? I think we treated you guys, and when I say we, uh, you know, the, as a country, better than the folks uh, that, let's say, came back from Vietnam, which was, that was absolutely disgraceful how we treated the folks coming back from there. But uh, what, was, what was the acceptance um, level here from the general public? Well, there's no shortage of, of goodwill uh, in our society these days, particularly as compared to uh, what the Vietnam generation experienced. Uh, so you're absolutely right about that. And on top of that, um, even though the services for veterans uh, fall short still, they are leaps and bounds of where they were uh, you know, decades ago. However, one difference that, that I would point out uh, that I think is a complicating factor for my generation of veterans is that, you know, we've now gone the longest period in American history without mandatory service of some kind, which means that the community of veterans is much smaller. And so while there certainly were enormous problems with the fact that uh, Vietnam veterans, for instance, were treated as, uh, you know, pariahs really by society, they were at least surrounded by a lot of other people who had had a similar experience. When they came home, a lot of their friends from high school, a lot of their friends from their neighborhood had had a similar experience. And so they could share that experience with others and they could, they could find, you know, uh, commonality with others. Whereas, uh, you know, today, less than 1% of our population serves in the armed forces. So when you come home, particularly as a reservist, uh, or, or a National Guardsman, and then if you're a member of uh, you know, the active duty force, and then when you get out of the military, you go back to a community where 
you know, very few people uh, served and very few people know someone who did. So while people are very respectful and appreciative of your service, it can be difficult to find others who you feel you can like really uh, have a lot in common with and share your experiences with. Uh, give us the genesis of Invisible Storm uh, from from your uh, your conception of of uh, when you were going to start putting uh, you know that's an old fashioned phrase but putting pen to uh, pen to paper or pencil to paper but what, whenever you first started taking your notes making your mental notes uh, when when did this all start? Sure. So a couple of years ago, you know, so uh, in October of 2018, um, I was uh, really on on quite a path politically. I was I was about to become I was I was about to be elected mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, my hometown. And prior to that, I had been uh, very seriously considering running for president, and more or less did run for president for a few months. Uh, and you know, I was in my I was like, I think, 37 years old and on quite a path. So objectively, professionally, things were going well. Um, but personally, for me, they were not. I you know, had, was coming up on almost 11 years of untreated, undiagnosed PTSD from my tour in Afghanistan. And so I ended up getting to a point where I had to stop everything to address my mental health. And it made a lot of news. And then I, I more or less disappeared for a while to deal with my mental health and to get treatment for PTSD. And the reason that I wrote this book is that, you know, after I made that announcement, I heard from a lot of people who told me that that, that really helped them feel seen and it helped them understand that they could go get help. But I realized that there were still a lot of people out there who were like I had been for over a decade, which were people who needed help, but didn't necessarily understand that they needed help or didn't understand that, that help would really work and that therapy uh, could be very effective. I hadn't known that till I went to therapy. So I wrote this book because it's the book that I needed 14 years ago when I came home from Afghanistan. And I think had it been available to me then, had someone written this book, I don't think I would have waited a decade to get help. And I think as a result, I wouldn't have been in, in such uh, in such a, a difficult position as I was by the time I finally got help. It, you know, it's misleading in, in, a, in a sense where, where when I say or when we hear that PTSD is uh, it has less of a stigma attached to it now. The truth of the matter, unless somebody points out that that individual, that man, that uh, that woman is suffering from PTSD, uh, you wouldn't know it, right? So there's still a stigma because there's a stigma attached to uh, to mental health issues, unfortunately, still at this point. Uh, are we seeing any light at the end of the tunnel between when you got back from Afghanistan and now? Uh, obviously, we got a long way to go, but. Uh, it, is there any opti- any hope for optimism? Yeah, look, I think from a stigma point of view, I do think it has gotten better. Um, I think that people in public life talking about their own mental health challenges, I think, helps with that a lot. Uh, and on top of that, I, I think that more and more people are, be- are coming to understand that, that health is health, whether it's mental health or physical health, uh, that either way it needs to be addressed. Um, part of the reason I wrote the book is because while the stigma, and there's still a stigma for sure, but while it is getting much better, the other issue is, is that a lot of people don't really realize that PTSD is not a, a terminal diagnosis, you know, because it feels, when you, when you think about the way PTSD is portrayed in the movies, for instance, I mean, it feels like if you're diagnosed with PTSD, like it's not exactly going to get better from there, but that's not the case. Like there are people walking around all the time, veterans and non-veterans, who have 
been to treatment uh, for trauma and, you know, have gotten to a point where PTSD no longer is disruptive to their life. Um, and that's, it's really important for other people to know that because it will uh, do two things. One, it will prompt people who have experienced trauma to go ahead and go get treatment because they realize that they can get better. Uh, and then the other thing is it will make sure that when folks are, you know, making hiring decisions and that kind of thing, that they're not hesitant to hire someone who has been to treatment for trauma. In fact, maybe if they read the book, they'll realize actually you might rather have someone who has dealt with their stuff because there's so many people walking around who haven't dealt with their stuff. I, let me uh, let me just ask you before I let you go, and and maybe I misremembered this, but I, uh, were you did you run for statewide? Uh, political office in your home state, uh, or were you elected statewide to to a political office? Yeah. yeah, so I was the first millennial ever elected to an American statewide office. I was the Secretary of State of Missouri, and then in 2016, I ran for the United States Senate uh, as a Democrat in a, in, a, in a red state, Missouri, and yeah. uh, actually outperformed the top of the ticket by 16 points, but did come up just a little short of defeating a Republican incumbent uh, that year. So very impressive. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, listen, I, congratulations on everything. I, I, I should have led with this, but thank you very much for your service and everything that you've done in uh, in, in your uniform. But uh, I think more importantly, what you've done out of uniform, bringing attention to uh, to P- uh, PTSD and and uh, some folks that uh, that may not have the voice you have here. Congratulations on everything, on all your success. Uh, Jason, do you have a website, a social media site where you can point us to? Sure, I'll give you all the stuff here, Frank. Thanks so much for asking. So, the, uh, first of all, the book is Invisible Storm, A Soldier's Memoir of Politics and PTSD. Uh, it's wherever you get books, it's available. All of my royalties go toward the fight against veteran suicide and veteran homelessness, uh, you know, which has been great. The book's a bestseller, and, you know, the more people buy it, the more that it helps the cause. Uh, I can be found at jasoncander.com or on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Jason Kander, and Kander is K-A-N-D-E-R. Jason, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Frank. Invisible Storm, a soldier's memoir of politics and PTSD. Jason Kander, Captain Jason Kander, uh, has been our very special guest, and uh, he, uh, you know, he served in Afghanistan, and when he came here. Uh, he was recognized by uh, by President Obama. I don't know the, the timeline there. I didn't. We didn't even get into that. But he was, I think, he was encouraged by Obama to uh, to run for president. And you know, you could you know you could listen to him, and you could uh, you know realize you know this isn't a this isn't a pure politician by any means. Uh, he's someone who has a lot in his background. You know, someone and I say this about you know, a lot of people that we we talked to, but we wish we had a little more time with uh, Captain Candor. And uh, it sounds like, you know, like Captain Obvious, Captain Candor. Uh, it's K-A-N-D-E-R. Invisible Storm, a soldier's memoir of uh, politics and PTSD. Um, uh, Jason Candor is the author of the book. Very important issue. Certainly a very important issue to me. I'm uh, you know, from a military family and and uh, you know we, we know you know so many people that that suffer, and you know we've got to do something about it. And I guess talking about it is a, a big first step. Jason Kander has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. 
He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, you must pick up, and it's uh, it'll it'll be dropping by the time you hear this. Uh, front page, it's the new album, and and everything I've heard from it, it's it's his best music to date, which is saying a lot because he's absolutely terrific. Paige Kennedy is here with us, and you know him from uh, from Blue Mountain State and Weeds, and uh, you know uh, uh, everything that he is in. I could watch. Uh, he's a multi-talented guy, and uh, second season. On Netflix of the Upshaws, and it is uh, it is upon us. Paige Kennedy, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Frank? I appreciate it. That intro was stellar. Yeah, well, listen, it's uh, it's well deserved, and you've got to feel good about the new music. Do you feel this is your best stuff, or is everything kind of individually judged by you? I think that this is sonically clearly uh, my best album. Um, I feel like every album I grow and I become more uh, uh, apt in my artistry. And I think this has more, at least half of the songs are songs that just feel good to listen to, that you can play in any circumstance. And a lot of times my music can be cumbersome. A lot of times my music can be, you know, deep and you need, it's like stuff that you listen to like on your own to feel a certain kind of way. But most of these songs here can be played at any type of event, basketball, barbecue, hanging out with friends. And I, you know, I had to grow into making that type of music. Paige, is there a lot of your music that, that you've written and that you've recorded that we've just never heard for different reasons? Maybe it didn't fit uh, quite yet. Is there a lot of Paige Kennedy music that we haven't heard yet? Um, well, I, you know, obviously I have, I have songs that are unreleased. Um, and I have songs. I've been rapping for so long. You know, I've been rapping over three decades. You know, and so I have tons of music that was never released because, you know, until a recent date when you could put music out yourself, you know, either you had a record deal or you just made your case for your friends and your family. And and if they were around you and your presence, they heard it. If not, then it was just urban legend. And so I do have, you know, a, a bunch of music that maybe people didn't hear, like mixtapes and stuff. But they are online, and you can check it and find it if you really are looking for it. Are you a Pro Tools guy or a Logic guy? Do you have your own setup in your house, and when you wake up, you can just kind of, you got an idea, and you just jump into it? What's your methodology in, in writing, and what do you, uh, you know, is, is it the same way all the time? Do you have a, a set approach that you, uh, you take each time, or is it kind of, uh, uh, you play it by ear? Well, I'm not one of the people who have their own setup as of yet. Um, I still go to the studio. I like the process of going to the studio and being in the environment. But um, I also am the type of person who likes to get the beat, find the beat, create my art, write it, have it prepared, and then go to the studio and lay it. I'm not 
uh, type of person that likes to just sit in the studio and then try and create a vibe that way or write while I'm there. Like, I, I, I don't do that. I don't want to uh, squander my time or money. I want to go there already prepared and go to lay the things that I have um, ready to go. That's cool. That's a very professional approach and kind of buttoned up uh, approach. And I listen. I've always heard that about you too. I, you've got to look back. You got to be very happy with uh, what you're doing musically. Let's turn uh, you know our, our attention to the uh, Upshaws, and uh, you're getting rave reviews for the uh, for the first season. Returning for a second season, and I, I think starting tomorrow we'll be able to see it on Netflix. Uh, give us a little taste without spoiling anything, of course. Uh, well, you know, it's more hilarity. It's a sitcom, so, you know, it's not like scandal. It's not super right, right. deep. But, you know, there there is a, a major cliffhanger that um, I think people are going to be interested to see the resolve of. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's family business, you know, so... So things continue to come up and pop up in his family, and I have to figure out a way to, you know, uh, make things work. Uh, you know, even though they're they're inured to trouble. Are there guest stars or the cameos from anybody coming up? Uh, yeah, um, there. I, I know uh, Chris Williams is a cameo. And they have a big, amazing cameo for uh, um, one of the family members of one of the stars. So people might be happy to see them. Let me remind folks, Paige Kennedy is the voice you're hearing, and uh, he has a new album, Front Page, and, and by the time you're hearing this, uh, it's, it's probably just dropping that, and and it's uh, highly anticipated. Get this, everyone. I, 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 I've been listening to it. She's absolutely terrific. Anything that uh, that this guy does, I could watch or listen to. He's a multi-talented guy. Uh, uh, Paige, if you don't mind, let's jump back to Front Page for a second, and uh, it, it give us a uh, you know, a, a little bit of, of of how you went about doing this. What, was any of this written during the pandemic? Well, I, I guess we're still in a pandemic, but during lockdown? Um, you know, it, it wasn't, well, I guess define what lockdown is. But um, this, the majority of this album was created um towards the end of last year um and you know i knew that i was going to be uh super busy like with with filming other yepshaws as well as i knew i would be out of the country for um the majority of the year doing the meg two in london and thailand and so i needed to get this done and the main thing that went into this is we didn't want to have this album be as heavy as the last one. My last album, Page, was extremely heavy. It was dealing with the black plight and everything that was going on with us being an endangered species of, of young black men. And so that was very heavy. And we wanted to make sure that there was a juxtaposition there and, and have this one have an air of levity to it. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think it was great. I, I, I thought that was a great album. Uh, and uh, and this, um, everything that I've heard from it so far sounds terrific. Uh, before we let you go, uh, it, make sure we get all your socials and, and your website, places that we can follow you. And if there's anything else you want to add before we let, uh, let you go, please do. Yo, so um, I'm at Paige Kennedy. That's P-A-G-E, um, Paige Kennedy. And, you know, I, I respond to uh, my pagers. Pagers are people that support my music because I put all of my, my love, resources, and energy into it. And, you know, I just like to have a conversation. So if you check the music out and you want to talk about it, like, I I, I love that, you know. Um, and uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. There are videos for the majority of songs that I put out. So any song that you like, there's probably a video that is attached to it on Paige Kennedy's evil. Paige, congrats on all your work, and uh, the, the best is yet to come. We'll be looking for front page. We'll be talking about it as we let you go. Thanks for being here. All right. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. Paige Kennedy, everyone. And he stars in Netflix, The Upshores, which is uh, terrific. It's uh, very, very funny. And uh, the second season is uh, is upon us. You got to check that out. But get front page. He's uh, he's terrific. He's right. His last his last album was heavy, but it was it was good. It was point. It was just it, it was an important piece, and it was uh, reflecting the times. And uh, you know, he's it, listen. He's a very talented guy. He's very funny. Uh, when he wants to be, uh, and, he, and he's very heavy when he wants to be, he's, uh, and he can get into different things. You can tell he's a very bright guy. Uh, he's uh, he's thoughtful, and he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, con- you know, he's conscientious about his career, and, you know, he didn't want to get into, uh, you know, you could tell by just, uh, you know, the few minutes we had there, but it, he didn't want to get into uh, being this this angry guy that is uh, is talking about you know the the endangered species of uh, of the African American man or whatever and he you know basically said that but that's what the last album was and you know it's uh, it, it was kind of reflecting the mood in uh, in his time and I, I think it's great to kind of pull back a little and and get a little light on it so uh, you know and and you don't know why artists uh, why musicians do uh, what they do but I. Can't I could see that, you know. Look, we're we're not in as heavy a place as we are, uh, or as we were uh, back when he released. And you know, it's 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 good to is a guy you can kind of cheer on uh, from the outside. You know him from Weeds. He was you know, wonderful in Weeds and Blue Mountain State. He's, he's doing a lot. He's putting a, a nice career together. I always like watching somebody put a, a craft their uh, their their future and their uh, career and, and look as things come up you uh, you deal with it and uh, and you know who knows how he you know sits back we didn't have enough time to get into how how things uh, come but he's he's been pretty uh, I'm telling you he's uh, very successful in in the past and it looks like things are going going his way uh, good for him thrilled to have him Paige Kennedy a very talented guy get his new album front page uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on 
breaking it down. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Uh, absolutely thrilled to uh, have an author. Uh, he's the co-author of of Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar, and he and Javier Pena, uh, wrote this book and boy I, I mean it's it's fascinating it's uh, it's the basis well they're the basis of uh, of Netflix uh, narcos and and so many other things so many characters are based on what these men have done uh, I, I got to think about the uh, 93 World Series when Joe Carter hit that home run and the announcer said touch them all Joe you'll never hit a bigger one than that and when you take down Pablo Escobar the king of cocaine uh, boy, you, you, I don't know where you go from there. But Steve Murphy, thrilled to have you. How are you? I'm good, Frank, and thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, well, listen, thrilled to have you. And uh, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of your history. Uh, hope, hoping everybody goes out and buys the book. Where did you start out? Where were you born and raised? Well, I was I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up just south of Nashville in a place called Murfreesboro. But when I was in high school, my family, my mom and dad are from West Virginia. So we moved back to West Virginia. I went to high school and college there. I'm kind of a cross between a redneck and a hillbilly, which explains my accent here. <laughs> um, joined my first police department in 1975, a little town called Bluefield, West Virginia. 35-man department, did that six years, railroad police officer for five and a half years, and then joined DEA in 1987, stayed there until 93 when I retired. I mean, I'm sorry, 13, not 93. I mean, when you say Murfreesboro, I think Civil War, you know, and, uh, you know, that's a historic town. But I also think small town. And can you imagine as a young man growing up around there that you would ever come in contact with with someone? And again, some some accounts have Pablo Escobar at at sometimes making $420 million a week. A week. I, I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, how does a kid from Murfreesboro I, like even dream of something like this? I mean, what, what were you thinking back then? A, any chance of, of hitting the big time like this? You know, never in a million years did I, did I dream anything like this would ever happen. And you talk about the amount of money that Pablo was making. That's almost as much money as a talk show host making. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. <laughs> Take a no, couple but zeros away. And we're and you're right. I, I am a small town country boy. I'm okay with that. And my partner Javier, he grew up in a town in South Texas called Hebronville that's even smaller than the town I grew up in in West Virginia. So both of us are just small town country boys. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of all the? You know, you see uh, Hank Schrader on uh, Breaking Bad, and I, I don't know if you w- watch these shows. I loved it. You know, and as a mm-hmm. layperson, you know, you find yourself cheering on the DEA. I mean, you know, these are the good guys. And, you know, you see there, you know, all, all the strength and all of the skill and the, and the courage they have. These guys are based on, on folks like you and Javier. Uh, and if, you know, if you don't mind, I mean, what do you think of the portrayals 
of uh, of some of these? Are, are any of them at all realistic with any of the folks that you've worked with or yourself? Well, I love Breaking Bad because it, I think it really brought to light the problem with methamphetamine. The actors did a phenomenal job. Brian Cranston was unbelievable. Uh, the guy that played the DEA ASAC and is, you know, I'm getting old. I just forgot his name as I mentioned it here. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job and they're, and they're bringing light to what's really going on, especially along our Southwest border. But like our show with Narcos, we love, uh, Boyd Holbrook played me and, uh, Pedro Pascal played Javier and, uh, Wagner Moore played Pablo Escobar, uh, a, a actress, um, Joanna Christie played my wife, Connie. Love every single one of them. I think they did a phenomenal job. I think especially Wagner Mora was fantastic in the way he played Escobar. He was able to capture the mannerisms. And you know what? We're watching season two, and my wife and I are, are watching it. And when Escobar is out there with his dad on the ranch, now that's you know that's Hollywood because if we knew he was out there at the ranch, we'd have gone out there and got him. Yeah. But I'm watching this, and all of a sudden I start feeling sorry for Pablo Escobar, and I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with you, boy? <laughs> that means they're but doing that a good the job. Quality of the actor. That was the quality of the actor. Wagner Moore just did a phenomenal job. Yeah. I, I mean, what can you tell us? Uh, it, well, it, without giving away the book, and, and again, let me remind everyone, uh, it's a memoir, and it's uh, it's called Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. It is a must read. Buy two of them. Buy one for yourself, and then buy one, uh, give it to your favorite uh, Breaking Bad fan. How about that? And uh, they're going to love it. It is a gripping book. It is getting rave reviews all over the place, and and we have co-author Steve Murphy here, real life, uh, real, real live uh, DEA uh, special agent, and uh, just a heroic figure. They took down the biggest kingpin that you could uh, you could ever imagine, narco kingpin, the king of cocaine. They called him uh, Pablo Escobar. I, you know, if without giving away the book, uh, of course, we want everyone to read it and and so forth. What can you tell us about Escobar that uh, that we haven't heard out there either? You know. Uh, you know, blow up a myth or, or, or confirm something that we have heard because he is, he's become a legend. Well, all the violence you've heard about is true. You know, he did put a bomb on an Avianca, a commercial airliner that killed 110 innocent people. He did blow up the uh, DOS building, which was the secret police building down there, killed over 100 people there. He did set off indiscriminate bombs everywhere that just killed innocent people who were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. All of that's true. Now, one thing, and I don't remember if, if, because you know how the book goes back and forth between Javier, and I don't remember if Javier wrote this in there, but Javier went on a raid one time where they uh, raided a cocaine lab out in the jungles of Colombia, and he found a sign hanging up in it. And we eventually learned that Pablo put this sign in every one of his cocaine labs. The sign says, if I catch you using the product, I will kill you, signed Pablo Escobar. Wow. So it was okay for the Americans and the rest of the world to use cocaine, but he didn't want his workers out there, you know, taking any of the product. Amazing. It, it, amazing. Uh, his hometown in Colombia, everything I've ever heard about is that, uh, that he's, he's a folk legend there and everyone loved him. Uh, is that true? Is it, uh, do, do they realize the, the pain and suffering he caused to the rest of the world outside of uh, that, uh, you know, that hometown of his, um, is it true that he was a, a folk hero there? Well, in Medellin, he's a folk hero in just certain parts. So this is one of the cool things that, that my wife and I really found about Colombia that we still love. I love the country. I, I mean, it's a special place for us. You know, our two daughters are Colombian. We adopted them from Colombia and they're, you know, they're growing up having their own families now. So Colombia is always going to be a special place for us. 
But in Medellin, there's barrios where Pablo is still a hero. But the vast majority of hardworking, honest Colombians, they're not proud of what Escobar did to their country. They're not proud of the stigma that he left them with. You know, I was guilty of this when I first moved to Colombia. I stereotyped all the Colombians into thinking everybody down here is a drug trafficker. What I found out is they're some of the nicest, most accepting people in the world. Now, if you go down there like the ugly American, they'll tell you real quick where the plane is and you can get back on it. Yeah. But if you go down and try to accept their culture and get along with them and try to use the Spanish you know, you won't find a nicer group of people anywhere in the world. I just, I really do love that country. Let me uh, again remind everyone, Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar is the name of the book. Uh, the co-author, Steve Murphy, is here with us today. It, it is an absolute must-buy, and it is uh, it is just a gripping tale of, uh, I don't know, it, 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 the title explains it all, but Pablo Escobar and just an amazing job by these guys in, in real life. Uh, we've got about a minute left with you, Steve. Uh, if you can, give us, a, give us a website, a social media site, or whatever you have that people can follow along with your career and what's going on with you. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Frank. If you want to find out more about us, go to www.deanarcos.com. That's D-E-A-N-A-R-C-O-S.com. We have a calendar on there that shows when and where we'll be around the world, where we're speaking. Uh, there's fan photos. There's information about us. And now that the book is out, you can actually order the books from, through our website directly from us. And uh, if you do that, we're happy to autograph them and even personalize them to, to whoever they, uh, you know, whoever you want it to go to. On social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn, all at DEA Narcos. Well, listen, I want to I want to congratulate you not only on the book and it's a it's it's a raving success and it's gonna it's gonna be a classic uh, it's an instant classic already. But uh, congratulations uh, on just an incredible life and career and congratulate your your family because you know we we all know you don't do it alone and your your wife was uh, uh, there in the background and uh, boy it had to be uh, stressful every day. Uh, that she had to uh, deal with you out there and everything else. But listen, congratulations for everything, and thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Frank. I really appreciate you mentioning my wife, too. She's the toughest woman I ever met. Love her to death. Way to go. Steve, thanks again. My pleasure. Steve Murphy, everyone, DEA agent, special agent Steve Murphy. The name of the book is Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar, and he and his, his partner, Javier Pena, uh, is uh, you know all the authors of this book and it's a, it, a big big success right now and and go to his website follow him uh, the narcokingpin.com I believe he said and uh, just uh, what a what a career this guy had and again uh, you know I go back to that that call in uh, in in the World Series 93 World Series Joe Carter hits a home run and ends the World Series and the announcer said, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger one than that. And, I, yeah, if you're a DEA agent and you take down Pablo Escobar, I don't know what, what else uh, to say. Uh, touch them all, and uh, you'll never get a bigger one than that. And, again, they're the, the uh, inspiration and the, you know, the, uh, the role models for, uh, for Netflix Narcos, which is excellent. It's, uh, it's just terrific. But, again, get the book. It is called Manhunters how we took down Pablo Escobar. Steve Murphy has been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.